Bible, please take your Bibles and turn with me at this time to 1 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Uh, we're almost done with our series. We've just got this week and next week, and uh, we'll have uh, finished the whole book of 1 Thessalonians. Our message series has been called Lessons from a Growing Church. We've been learning from this young, growing church at Thessalonica. Today's lesson has to do with being ready for Christ's return, right? Ready or not, here he comes is the title of our message. And you know, last week we looked at the return of Christ in relation to the resurrection of the dead, uh, our reunion with our loved ones who've passed away. And so last week we looked at it more with respect to those who've already died. This week, this week's passage focuses more on those of us who are still alive. Uh, as believers, how should we live? How should we live in light of the fact that Christ is returning. So we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11 in the course of the message, but I'm just going to read verses 1 through 4 as we get started. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety... Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we look at uh, these verses and the ones following this morning, I pray, God, that you would indeed teach us from your word. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage us, challenge us, uh, to live in light of the fact that you are returning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Christ is coming again. You know, the entire Old Testament looked forward to Christ's first coming. The entire New Testament looks forward to his second coming. And just as surely as Christ came the first time, he will come again. The doctrine of Christ's second coming is essential teaching for all believers. You know, the doctrines of Christ's death and resurrection uh, teach us the foundation for our salvation, but the doctrine of Christ's return teaches us the foundation for godly living. And knowing that Christ is coming should profoundly affect your behavior as a Christian. How should you live knowing that Christ could return at any moment? And uh, the instruction that God gives us here in our passage today is this. We should be alert and self-controlled. Alert and self-controlled. And, and, uh, and then Paul gives us three reasons why we should be alert and self-controlled while we wait for Christ's return. There's an outline in your worship guide this morning. I encourage you to take that out, to follow along, and maybe jot down some notes as we work our way through the passage. But let's get started. Our first reason uh, is found in verses 1 through 3. We should be alert and self-controlled while we wait for Christ because the day of the Lord will catch those in darkness by surprise. The day of the Lord will catch those in darkness by surprise. So we're in verses 1 through 3. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, 
Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. And in these two verses, Paul gives us really two analogies, two analogies to describe various aspects of Christ's return. And the first analogy is that the thief in the night, the thief in the night. And Paul said, I don't need to write to you about times or dates, and not because they already knew when Christ would return, but because they didn't know. And because nobody knows except God the Father. No one knows when Christ will return. And if nobody knows the time, that means Christ could return at any time, right? So when you least expect it, expect it. That's, that's the way we've kind of got to approach this whole thing, right? Verse 2 speaks of the day of the Lord. This was a very familiar phrase uh, to Israel from the Old Testament. The day of the Lord is, sp- speaks of that time when God would come to judge the world and to deliver his people. Now, the New Testament also speaks of the day of the Lord, but it equates the day of the Lord with the return of Christ. And in the New Testament, it's no longer just the day of the Lord. It's the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his day. Christ comes in power to judge the earth and to deliver his people. And Paul says in this first analogy, he says that this day will come like a thief in the night. The day will come in the night. The day will come like a thief. And the main idea behind this image is the unexpectedness of Christ's return. Comes at a time when you do not expect it. I like the way Eugene Peterson uh, translates this verse. He won't call ahead and make an appointment any more than a burglar would. I like that. You know, there's going to be no reminder card like you might get from the dentist. There'll be no notification on your phone, okay? The day comes suddenly, unexpectedly, like a thief. Now, a thief's arrival is not only unexpected, it is also most unwelcome. The thief does damage when he comes. We don't want the thief around. And in the same way, Christ's return will not be a welcome event for those who are unprepared. The Bible says it will be a day of great mourning and trouble and judgment. And that's all wrapped up in this first analogy Paul uses, the thief in the night. The second analogy is that of a pregnant woman. We see this one in verse 3. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And now this phrase, peace and safety, that was a well-known phrase uh, back in Jesus' day. That was the slogan of the Roman Empire. Peace and safety. Pax et securitat in the Latin, right? The, the, the Pax Romana, peace, safety, security. They were so proud of the security they had built into their empire. You know, we hear a lot about security today, don't we, right? Social security, financial security, Homeland security. And I'm all for security, and it's important to have a good security plan in place, but we must also realize that no security plan will prevail without God's protection and blessing. Prayer is the most important element of any security plan. We must look to God for protection. And so, what Paul is talking about here is an attitude of arrogance on the people. Right? He's talking about people who ignore God, and yet they still feel that they are perfectly safe and secure. 
And they're so sure of themselves that they're crying out, peace and safety, peace and safety, even as God's judgment is descending upon them. It's similar to the people in the Titanic just drinking and dancing the night away as you're heading right into that iceberg. And Paul says that while people are saying peace and safety, this destruction will come. And the word for destruction here means disaster or ruin, a total and complete loss. And Paul speaks in the, in the present tense here. It's almost as though he's, narr- he's watching these things happen and he's narrating these events as they take place. He says, they're, they're, I'm watching, they're, they're saying peace and safety even as the destruction comes. And then those who felt so safe and secure moments before are left reeling in shock. And, and this brings us right now to the analogy of the pregnant woman, our second analogy here. Because Paul says that this destruction comes suddenly like labor pains. Like labor pains. Now, just to lighten things up a little bit for a moment, because I know we're into some heavy territory here. Have you, have you ever seen one of those sitcoms, right? Uh, where the woman is expecting, she's pregnant, and all of a sudden uh, she goes into labor when they're not expecting it. Happens all the time. My favorite one is the old I Love Lucy episode. You know, I love, you know, Lucy's pregnant, so, you know, Ricky and Fred and Ethel, they're practicing, you know, for when she goes into labor. And they, you know, picking up the suitcases and everything's ordered, marching out, and they've got it all down to a T. And right while they're practicing, all of a sudden, Lucy goes into labor. The labor pains come suddenly. And, you know, you know Ricky, Ricky, Ethel, and Fred, I mean, they're just, they're going peace and safety, all's orderly. But when it comes, all of a sudden they're in a panic and they're running around, bumping into each other, grabbing, and they run out the door and they leave Lucy behind. <laughs> you know, they, they weren't ready at all, were they? See, labor pains are an appropriate image here for a number of reasons. First of all, because they come suddenly, without warning. Secondly, because they are painful. And once again, this will be a day of pain and sorrow for those who are not prepared. And then finally, they're an appropriate image because they signal the inevitable. When the labor pains come, ready or not, here comes the baby, right? And Paul brings out this aspect of inevitability with his final phrase here in verse 3 when he says, they will not escape. And just like labor pains, when God's judgment begins... There is no reversing it. It is sudden, painful, inescapable. So here's a question for you. If the day of the Lord comes suddenly and unexpectedly, then how do you prepare for it? You know, if you knew what hour the thief was coming, you'd be prepared. If Ricky knew when Lucy's labor pains were coming, they would have been ready. And the answer, therefore, is we must always be prepared. We don't know when Christ is coming, so we must always be prepared. We must live in a constant state of ready alert so that we will not be caught off guard by his coming. So that's our first reason. Why should we be alert and self-controlled while we wait for Christ's return? Because the day of the Lord will catch those in darkness by surprise. And we find our second reason in verses 4 through 8. We should be alert and self-controlled because we belong to the light, not the darkness. We belong to the light, not the darkness. Look at verses 4 through 8 with me now. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, 
so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Notice verse 4 begins, but you brothers. See, Paul's changing the subject here. He's no longer talking about unbelievers. That was verses 1 through 3, right? Now he's talking about believers. And he says God comes not only to judge those in the darkness, he comes also to save those who are in the light. And as a believer, you are not in darkness so that this day will surprise you or overtake you like a thief, and therefore you have nothing to fear concerning the coming day of the Lord. Verse 5 says, you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. This expression, son of, means someone who's characterized by something. So, for example, if I call you a son of a slippery snake, which I would never do, by the way, but if I did that, I'm not talking about your parents, okay? I'm talking about you. I'm saying that's a characterization of you. And so those who are sons of the light and sons of the day are those who are characterized by the light and by the day. And as such, Paul says, we do not belong to the night or the darkness. Notice Paul says we. He includes himself here. He includes himself because he's about to include himself in the commands that follow. He goes on in verse 6, including himself. He says, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. Now, the word Paul uses for sleep here is a different word than the one we saw last week in chapter 4. Remember last week, we, we, we saw a word that was commonly used for someone who had died, you know, that they'd fallen asleep, they died. It was a word that spoke of the stillness of the body. But the word for sleep here in chapter 5 is just a word used for regular sleep or sleepiness or drowsiness. It's often used in contrast to those who are awake or fully alert. In fact, the command here to be alert in this verse is literally just the command to be, keep awake, to keep watch, right? Don't be drowsy. And so as Christians who belong to the light, we should be alert and self-controlled. In other words, God expects us to live differently than those who belong to the night. We see this in verse 7. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. In other words, night is the natural time for people who sleep or get drunk. But our behavior should be the opposite of those in the darkness. The opposite of sleeping is what? Being alert. The opposite of getting drunk is what? Exercising self-control. Be alert and self-controlled. Christian singer Keith Green wrote a song way back in the 1980s called Asleep in the Light. And he had this verse in there. Very compelling charge. He wrote, The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. What a terrible indictment. And that's what 1 Thessalonians 5 is saying here. He's saying, hey, let those in the darkness sleep. Okay, that makes sense. But not the church. 
We should not be sleeping. We belong to the light, not the darkness. And therefore, we should not live like those who belong to the night. And it's not only that we do not belong to the darkness. The Bible tells us we are actually at war with the darkness. And the darkness is at war with us. The light stands for all that is God's and all that is good. The darkness stands for all that is opposed to God and opposed to God's goodness and his ways. The spiritual forces of darkness wage war against the light of God. And so Paul says, hey, get dressed for battle, right? Verse 8, take a look at it. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Now, Paul, Paul loves this imagery of the spiritual armor. He uses it several times in his letter. The, the most detailed part is Ephesians 6, is where we're most used to it. Um, here he organizes the armor imagery around a, a common trilogy we find in the Bible of faith, love, and hope. And uh, so you can see faith, love, and hope in there. Hope is particularly significant. We've learned from this letter that hope is a major theme uh, throughout 1 Thessalonians. Hope is what sustains us in the face of persecution. Last week we saw that hope is what sustains those who have lost loved ones in Christ. And now Paul offers hope as a motivation to godly living as well. Paul says, put on hope, that hope of salvation as a helmet. Put that on your head. The knowledge, the assurance that because we are in Christ, we will be delivered on the day of judgment. That that day will not take us by surprise because we don't belong to the darkness. But in the meantime, we're involved in a spiritual war, and so we need to put on our spiritual armor. So that's our second reason why we need to be alert and self-controlled while we wait for Christ's return, because we belong to the light not the darkness. And that leads us to our third reason. We should be alert and self-controlled because God has promised to save us on that day. God has promised to save us on that day. Look at verses 9 through 11 with me now. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. Now, if your faith is in Christ today, then you are already saved, okay? You're saved right now. Your faith is in Christ. But when Christ returns, what Paul is saying is your salvation will then be complete. You will be completely delivered from sin and death and judgment. And God has promised to save you on that day, and therefore your hope is secure. And Paul gives us two reasons here for your security. Number one, God appointed you. Number two, Jesus died for you. Let's look at each of those. First of all, God appointed you. Verse 9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we looked at this earlier in our first message from 1 Thessalonians, way back chapter 1, verse 4, where Paul spoke of believers as chosen by God. Here he speaks of believers as appointed to salvation. If you are a Christian, then you are chosen and appointed by God. Your destiny is not judgment or wrath, but salvation. God appointed you to receive salvation. Let's put the emphasis on that word receive, right? The word receive there, it's a word that means a purchased possession means one's personal property. Now, in, 
God uses the same word of us for him, okay? Uh, in the book of Ephesians, we're described as God's possession, same word. 1 Peter 2.9 speaks of us as a people belonging to God, same word. So we are God's possession. We are the property of Jesus. But now we also have a personal possession, a purchased possession. We have been given salvation. We have not been appointed unto wrath, but to the purchased possession of salvation. Notice Paul says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, salvation is a purchased possession, but guess what? We didn't purchase it for ourselves. We could never have purchased it for ourselves. We can't afford it. And so Jesus purchased it for us. And how did he do that? Look at verse 10. He died for us. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. It's as simple as that. Jesus died in your place. He paid the penalty for your sin. That's all history. It's taken place. The transaction's already taken place. When you put your faith in Christ, he gives you the Holy Spirit to transform your life now and also as a deposit guaranteeing your final redemption. Jesus died so died for us so that when he returns, we may live with him. Now, this next part's a little tricky, okay? Notice what Paul says here. He says, this is true, that Jesus died for us so that when he returns, we will live with him. He says, that's true whether you are awake or asleep when he returns. So we have to unpack that a little bit. What does he mean by awake or asleep? Well, he certainly doesn't mean believers and unbelievers. You know, the awake are the believers, the unbelievers are the sleeping. Can't mean that because he says, whether you're awake or asleep, you're going to be with Jesus. So it's not believers and non-believers. Highly unlikely he's just talking about physical sleep because that really just kind of wouldn't mean a whole lot. You know, whether you're awake or, or asleep, when Jesus returns, you'll be saved, okay? That doesn't mean that. Some people relate it back to chapter 4, what we looked at last week. Remember, sleeping meant those who had died. So they say, well, maybe that's what it means. Whether we're awake, alive, or asleep, we've passed away, we'll be together with Jesus. But that was chapter 4. That's a different word for sleep. That's the word, chapter 4 was the word sleep that meant still, like a dead body. The word sleep here means drowsy, sleepy, not alert. You can see this better if you translate verse 10 this way. Whether we watch or whether we're sleepy and drowsy and kind of not paying attention, we will live together with him. This is a beautiful example of God's grace. God motivates us to godly living, not through fear, but through hope in God's grace. Notice what Paul does not say. He doesn't take this approach. Christ is coming, believer, Christian. So you better shape up, or you're not going to be saved. Paul doesn't say that. Rather, he puts it this way. He says, Christ is coming. And if your faith is in Christ, whether you're awake or asleep, you will be saved either way. It's because of God's wonderful grace, therefore, that we live this life that is pleasing to God. In other words, it's what we always say. Salvation is by grace. 
not by works, and that should motivate us to godly living. We find the similar thought in 1 Peter 1.13, where Peter writes, prepare your minds for action. There's the being alert. Be self-controlled. There's the being self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, when your faith is in Christ, you do not need to fear the return of Christ. We often hear it's like, you better not be doing something wrong when Jesus returns. You know, we hear that, right? And, and you know, I, I, I pray that I won't be doing something wrong when Jesus returns. That would be very embarrassing. But it's got nothing to do with your salvation. Your salvation does not depend on what you are doing the moment Jesus arrives. It depends on what you do now. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ now? Are you living for him now? Then you are perfectly safe. Unlike those people who were crying peace and safety, even though they did not believe. Now, some people hear them, they go, that sounds awfully risky. <laughs> you know, if we're going to be saved when Christ comes, regardless of our behavior, then where's the motivation for godly living? And I would say, yeah, it's risky, but you know what? It's also necessary. Because fear can never be the true motivation for godly living. It doesn't work. Because godly living has to come from the heart. Fear can only modify uh, or motivate external behavior. Only grace can motivate the kind of life that truly pleases God, a life characterized by faith, love, and hope. And so Jesus died for us so that we may live for him. Therefore, Paul says in verse 11, encourage one another, build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Encourage one another, exact same phrase we saw last week in chapter 4, verse 18. This build each other up is a little bit more individual. It talks about one-on-one, you know, taking care of each other one-on-one, encouraging each other, strengthening each other. Paul gives them one final word. He says, just as in fact you are doing, which is his way of encouraging them. See, we should all encourage each other to stand strong because of the salvation we've been given through Jesus Christ. This is every believer's responsibility as we watch and wait together for Christ's return. Why should we be alert and self-controlled while we wait for Christ's return? Because God has promised to save us on that day. So when will Christ return? Anytime. Some people have taught, I don't know why they teach this, some people have taught that Jesus is going to return at night. I think probably because of that phrase, a thief in the night. But we've seen that's just an analogy, and and when Christ comes, I, I, I'm guessing it's going to be night somewhere and it's going to be day someplace else. So it doesn't really work that way, right? When Christ comes, it'll be both night and day. Okay, but I want us to play with that imagery for a little bit as we close up here now. When Christ comes, it will be both night and day. And it will be both night and day spiritually as well. Because some will be in darkness, others will be in the light, There is no middle ground. There's no dusk or dawn. Christ could come at any time, so the time to prepare is now, which leads us to the final question, right? Are you in the darkness or are you in the light? Let me address both briefly here. If you're in the darkness, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, then let me encourage you to come into the light. Because Christ is coming. And if you're still in darkness, when Christ returns, that day will surprise you 
like a thief. Destruction will come like labor pains, and it will be too late to do anything about it. Now is the time to choose. Come out of the darkness and into God's wonderful light. Now, if you are already in the light, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, let me ask you, are you watching or are you sleeping? Are you alert and living a life that's pleasing to God or have you gotten a little lazy or a little sloppy? Are you kind of sleeping at the wheel of your Christian life? Are you asleep in the light? If you've been sleeping as a Christian, then let me encourage you to wake up. Because God says sleep is for those in the dark. God says, I got something better for you. Be alert, be self-controlled. Don't sleepwalk your way through your Christian life, but walk in God's marvelous light. There is a war going on, so get out of your pajamas and put on the armor of God. Your salvation does not depend on it. But you see, someone else's may with your testimony for Christ. Ready or not, here he comes. Jesus died for you so that whether you watch or sleep, you may live together with him. This is God's grace. God's grace should motivate you to godly living. Makes sense that those in the darkness will sleep, but as Christians, we should be wide awake. We belong to the light in the day, so then let us be alert and self-controlled as we watch and wait for the day of Christ's return. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, we thank you for your word today. It contains words of conviction, challenge, but also words of comfort and hope. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you've given us in Jesus Christ, that our salvation is all based on what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so, Lord, when you save us, you save us to live for you now and to live with you forever. And we are so thankful. And, Lord, I really hope and pray I'm I'm not doing anything wrong or bad at the time that you return. I'll be so embarrassed. But, Lord, I thank you that even if I am, my salvation is secure. And so I don't need to be afraid. We are sons of the light and sons of the day. Lord, help us to live up to our name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.